that's out of uh, Matthew. It's actually in the uh, what would be considered the uh, Christmas story in Matthew 2. Out of Egypt I called my son. And have you ever wondered why that Egypt is put in there and he's calling his son out of Egypt in the Christmas story? Have you ever thought about that? Such a strange way, isn't it? Have you ever wondered why in the world he would go all the way to, to Egypt? Uh, Joseph and, and Mary and, and Jesus. Baby Jesus. God, in His sovereign power, could have just transported them to Egypt. Matter of fact, He could have changed the whole situation and not made it where they had to go to Egypt at all, couldn't He have? But He permitted this, allowed it, made it happen uh, in, in another sense. And it's all about Jesus, the little baby, being cared for and protected. And so God, is use, God the Father, is using Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, the earthly parents, to protect Him, to take Him to Egypt. And he is he has actually put them in his hands as he protects them and guides them all the way through, but yet they're very human, aren't they? Of course Mary and Joseph are. But Jesus is human too. And so he goes through experiences of life that you would never expect the king of the universe to actually have to go through. It's an amazing thing. He's a normal child. And this is all part of God becoming man at the same time and going through these experiences and very early on as he is a baby, as he is a baby, he is actually hated, despised, rejected. That is an amazing thing and and we'll be looking at that this morning. He is definitely on the hit list of the enemy in this story and then as his ministry starts, he is certainly a target of the people in Israel, especially the religious. Bible scholars have always wondered why the use of Hosea is found here in Matthew 2. Hosea is quoted, and at first glance it doesn't really look like there is anything here to do with this. It doesn't seem right. It's about the children of Israel is what Hosea is speaking of. And it's about them leaving Egypt, right? We know about that story. And yet, and we know they're to go to the promised land. And yet, here we have Matthew taking up on that with a little bit different twist, using the same passage out of Hosea, and he's saying that he was called out of Egypt to return to Israel. And so, God is using Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph are from, and then Bethlehem, and then Ramah, and Egypt. All of these places are all a part of the God-man as He is incarnate here on earth, as He is in His very early days, infant days, baby days, if we can say. And so, 
and really what it's going to amount to is that there is a deliverance from sins that has to happen. And so he has to go down to Egypt. It is a must. It is a prophecy. It has to be fulfilled. So we'll be looking at that. I can think of the the picture of a, there was a little kid in Sunday school and um, it wasn't anything here, but in, in this story, um, it was really dealing with the flight into Egypt. And that's what we're calling our, our title today, The Flight into Egypt. So they were supposed to draw the flight into Egypt. And so the teacher said, do it as, as biblical as you can. So all the kids, they turn in their picture and such, and the teacher looked at his picture and, and said, what is this? And he had, he had drawn a 727 jet and four people in the cockpit. This is his flight into Egypt. So he drew the picture. And she says, well, what is this? He says, well, this is the flight into Egypt. And then she says, well, who are these people? And he says, that's Joseph, that's Mary, and that's the baby Jesus. And she goes, okay, and then who's this other person here? And he said, oh, that's Pontius the pilot. (laughs) Thank you. Not exactly the most biblical, but to him, he just did what the teacher said. What happened in the Exodus to Egypt? What happened there? I think this is one of the most fabulous, fascinating fulfillments of prophecy that we have along with 300 others in Scripture dealing with Jesus' birth. It's just incredible when you look at the prophecies. They're all over the place as we see fulfillments. Let's, uh, let's stand. Let's turn to the book of Matthew. Our main text is going to be starting at verse 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent, slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping at great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Father, what a story. The birth of Christ, the incarnation. Help us, Lord, to see this in new fresh light as we always pick up Your Scripture. We want to see new light here. We've heard the Christmas story over and over and sometimes we can become somewhat hardened to it because we have heard it so many times and it just kind of passes over our thoughts. But help us to realize this is a guiding, sovereign God who is providential in every way and He makes His plan and purpose come true it's all glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the book of Matthew for this week. And the book of Matthew is really presenting who? The king. That's the thing. The king. Matthew has proven the king. Right from the very outset, there's a genealogy in chapter 1, and he proves the king comes from the tribe of Judah the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And so he has to come from that. And and we get other pictures and we know that in chapter 2 we get the Magi coming on the scene. And the Magi prove that he's the king as a baby. He is the one who is going to reign over all. And they show themselves as realizing that he's the king by worshiping. They worship. Give him these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's one aspect. I have another one. And it's Herod, who's in that same story. Herod recognizes there's a king because he's been told by these magi. He starts questioning about it. He is really afraid, real concerned. So what does he do? He hates this king who is a baby. That's an amazing story in itself, isn't it? So, we get some principles out of this, and out of the principles, we'll kind of explain kind of what's going on here. This point here is easy to see. Uh, We know that Herod has a murderous attempt that he's going to kill Jesus. He's going to do what is an unconscionable slaughter of the baby boys that lived in that area of Ramah, just uh, around where Jerusalem is at. All the baby boys there. Whenever God does anything good, here's our principle here, and He always does good. When He does it in this world, the devil puts his demon force into action and he always comes against it. He puts it into overdrive, doesn't he? And he stirs up other people. Other people then are, you know, Satan, demons, seem, they, they use the pawns, mankind, just like Herod was used by Satan to do these evil 
wicked, dastardly deeds. What a terrible deed it is in killing these baby boys. There's another principle as we see that God, when God brings forth good, evil also is seen. Another one is that God permits the wicked, evil, lawless tyrants to rule. Because He's in such a total control, we know that He could keep those people from ruling, couldn't He? He could. But He doesn't always do that. Matter of fact, many of the leaders of the rule, uh, uh, that rule and uh, world are very evil, very wicked. I think the point is obvious here. Uh, wicked men really come underneath the power of God's decrees, God's permission. He allows them to rise to power. And when you think of it in our time, that answers a lot of things what is happening. Uh, and He doesn't always stop with putting them in power. Sometimes there are monstrous evils that happen. We think of monstrous evil as abortion in this nation. It's killed millions and millions of babies. God doesn't do that. That's evil man that does it. But God is still in control. It's kind of a mystery, isn't it? Why God would allow that evil, the hurting that goes on. Things are rarely seen as the way that they seem to be. No one gets away with sin forever though, right? There are things that go on we can't imagine. Why God? And why, here in Matthew 2, verse 1, just look at this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, do you get that? After He was born, very quickly, we don't know the time period, could be as much as two years here. It was of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, Mary and Joseph, are, they haven't gone back to Nazareth yet, could be living in a house. They're not in the stable anymore. But the Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So they're, they're in that area wherever um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are at. Herod the king. If, if, you, were, if you were God, <laughs> I don't know, is that even bad to even think that, but if you were in control here, would you, uh, would you allow a man like Herod to be the king? in the very area where your son is born and he's living. If you had control, wouldn't you make sure that you get rid of that man who is jealous of any other ruling power? And so right here in the very first verse, as he's born in Bethlehem at that near that time, Herod the king. Herod is one of the most wicked men that's ever lived. He killed brother-in-laws, brother, wives, uh, family, sons. Uh, he just killed anybody that got in his way. It didn't matter to him. That's about as wicked as you get. And then to kill babies like he did. Incredible, isn't it? This is a monstrous plot. Look in verse 13, chapter 2. Now when they had gone, behold, check this out, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. This has happened before. It's direction from God. In a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there till I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. That's exactly what Joseph and Mary do. They get up and they get going. Uh, here's another principle. Even when God permits these evil men to do evil things even, the providences bring great mercies. The providence of God. The mercy of God that's all in this. And somebody has called this a cross-handed providence. It doesn't make sense. Uh, These great mercies. The ways of God don't really always make sense, do they? God doesn't make sense as far as our human mind can go. Did Mary wonder about God's plan here? From having to pack up, leave your home, she's very young, she's leaving with the man that she really was concerned about for a little bit there, and traveling, probably not the most most comfortable time to be traveling when you're pregnant like this and then no place to go to and to actually, as the song was saying earlier about the manger and the animals there, we know that, but think about it. Would you ever think about putting your baby I'm sure, ladies, you've thought of this. I don't think guys think about it too much. I've heard the story so much, it just kind of goes by me. But then you start thinking about it. Would you ever put your baby in a manger or where animals are at or where they have been eating out of? You know, there's hay there. Would you have done that? I don't think there's a single one here that would dare do that. But it's all there is. You would think God would allow some kind of room for them to stay, right? At least... Provided a nurse maybe or something, you know? This is as human as it gets. This is, this is all cross-handed. It, it doesn't make sense. It's such a strange way to save the world. I should have titled my title today that. So that song really came in handy, didn't it? As well as a lot of those other songs, they tie right into this. You know, we think about it, but it, it's incredible. What a story. It's when normal lines are somehow all crossed up. It's cross-handed is can be used in golf. It's a golfing term. And just you know, we're not supposed to do that. Blurs the lines. The term applies to Herod, cross-handed, but how God uses this in His providence. Herod was shocked at first when the Magi showed up in Jerusalem. And they're talking about this king, the one born of the Jews. And of course you have this star, you know, that story. This is a direct challenge to his authority that he has where he's at. Direct authority has been uh, challenged. He's shocked. Then he tries to cover this all up of what he's intentionally trying to do and his evil intentions, because you could say, plays nice with the Magi, right? And he acts like, oh, 
I want to go there too because I want to worship them. He wants to know from them where this is at or he can go and kill him. What a cross hand we have here. The angel warned the Magi to return by another way. Just get out of here. you know. So, this sick, evil, terrible man with this murderous plot to kill all the baby boys so he doesn't know exactly what it is. He's found out he's been tricked. So he'll just wipe them all out and make sure that he gets this one who's supposed to be a king. How sinister can you be? Strange, cross-handed providence of God. An angel warns Joseph to take Mary and the child and flee to Egypt. And that's exactly what they do. Obedience in every stop here, isn't it? They get that from God. You have a fulfillment of prophecy here. We have a fleeing to Egypt for safety. God is protecting them. Like I said, He could have done other different ways. But He's going to have them travel even further. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's right out of Hosea. Matthew takes this and says, okay, I know what it meant then, but here's what it means ultimately. It's pointing to the Son of God. Now, a lot of mysteries in this. We don't know how old Jesus is. Like I said, some take this up to possibly two years old. We don't know where they stayed at in Egypt. We don't know how long they stayed in Egypt. It probably wasn't very long, and a lot of the commentators say probably six months tops. Probably for a little bit. We don't know how old Jesus is when He returns to Nazareth. We don't know that. All we know is that Herod wanted the baby Jesus dead. That's what he wants. That's what this is about. So, they stay in Egypt. An angel comes and says it's safe to return. You can return because Herod is dead. Someone else is reigning in the father's place. You have four sons that are become... Kings, they're not really kings, they're like governors now. It's it's divided up. Where he was king in one great big huge area, now it's divided up. And Archelaus is the one who is kind of like the governor there when they return back there. And and we read that Joseph is afraid of him. So they're going to kind of stay away. Anybody related to Herod? Again, this is all fulfilled out of Hosea 11.1. 1, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Egypt sometimes has been a haven for God's people. That's interesting, isn't it? Abraham and Sarah went there because of a lack of food, a famine. Joseph was uh, one who was being maybe killed, going to be killed by his brothers. And there was a trade made and he was delivered to Egypt. This is all in God's plan. And Joseph recognized that. 
told that to his family later. Jacob, who is Joseph's father, then went to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. And so he and the rest of his people, which is the nation of Israel as it turns out to be, the twelve sons, twelve tribes there, What was God going to do? Well, He protected His people while they were in Egypt before it was time for them to go. And in a way, they were Israel was a, kind of like a son <coughs> to God in that sense. And that's why Hosea would have put that forth. Although sometimes Israel is considered to be a wife of God. Here, that's the picture, a son. God is protecting His Son. God is protecting now the Messiah the Son. It's been known as a place of bondage, a place of oppression, but it's been known as a haven. Becomes a home for these people. For Mary, Joseph, Jesus. A hiding place. Ah. Very good hiding place that God had in mind in His sovereignty. This is applying to Jesus in an indirect way when you look at Hosea as an infant. Jesus really had no say in this. He can't talk. He can't tell them, okay, we need to go to Egypt now because they're going to kill me. He's fully a baby, isn't he? I mean, the proof of this is all the way through. I mean, all the way in, a, in the humanness. The path of life every one of us know, takes us into unexpected zigs and zags. How many people here have zigged and zagged? I know every one of you have. God, as being a providential God, has done that. But sometimes we find ourselves fleeing to Egypt for safety, whatever safety that may be. Charles Spurgeon preached a message and here he was on Matthew 2.15. And he began his sermon in this way. I'm going to read a paragraph if that's okay. Egypt occupies a very singular position towards Israel. It was often the shelter of the seed of Abraham. Abraham himself went there when there was a famine in the lord of his sojourn. To Egypt, Joseph was taken that he might escape from the death intended for him by his envious brethren and become the foster father of the house of Israel. Into Egypt, as we all right well know, went the whole family of Jacob, and there they sojourned in a strange land. And there Moses acquired the learning which was so useful in him. Spurgeon there points out that God sometimes sent His children to Israel to protect them. That's a good point, isn't it? And you notice that He always delivered them out of a place. It's a pagan place, but isn't all the world a pagan place? But for some reason, He uses Egypt. Out of Egypt, Moses definitely demonstrated that. The living seed can go into strange places. The living seed will come out of Egypt, be delivered from there. So it says, um, 
that whenever they were being threatened by Herod, that they fled. They were fugitives. To flee, it's a present command. It's a present imperative. They kept fleeing. The process of fleeing, why would that be there? Well, it's probably an hour or so away from, from there, right? No. We're talking um, 70 miles, 75 miles to the border. And to get more deeper into the country, which you'd probably need to, we're dealing with some desert and that kind of thing, they would probably go on at least another 100 miles. So do the math, you have 175 miles to travel, and that's good for us down to the Arkansas border. We can get there in three and a half hours. Probably less. This is not going to be three and a half days for them. Probably not even three and a half weeks. We're probably talking uh, quite a few more weeks. And so when they're told to go there, it's like, this is, this is not even our homeland. You know, why, why do we want to go? You don't hear that. All they do is they pack, they leave. And because that's obedience, that's what they did. They were not meant to stay there forever. The children of Israel never stayed there forever. Remember the Red Sea? By faith, we too go down to our Egypts in the middle of the night when it's dark. Did you notice that's when they fled? In Matthew 2.14, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night. He didn't hesitate. I probably would have thought, okay, you mean tomorrow morning when it's light? Then, of course, the angel would say, no, now. You don't understand the problem here. You're going to have armies after you. We go to Egypt. We have our Egypts. We also come out of our Egypts. God has a plan for us. So it takes them by night. We often enter by night. It's dark. So that's what we see in 14 and 15. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, let's put this into a little more perspective. There is an area in Egypt called Alexandria. It's a city. You ever heard of that? At this time, it was a major city. It was a major city in early church history. You get some theologians that come out of, such as Augustine, some others. Alexander the Great. That's how it got its name. Alexander said, I'll name this place Alexandria. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. But it was God using a leader, a king, who by the way I think lived to be something like 33 years old, somewhere around that vicinity, 
just barely 30 or something. But he made it a refuge for Jews to come to in Egypt. This was back years ago. Many years ago. There would be people who would flee from the north to the south. This city of Alexandria at this time, whenever Joseph and Mary went there, it was packed full of other Jewish people. Look what God had prepared. It was a safe place to go. It was a Actually, it was an equal privilege with the Macedonians, Alexandria said. They will have equal privilege with Macedonians. Who are the Macedonians? That's Alexander the Great and his people. Equal privilege. Treated just like them. God provided for this little family. Isn't that amazing? This is God leading in this. They could dwell safely and peacefully in Egypt what about the gifts that they were given? He said, oh, that's a burden. They're going to have to take these gifts along with them now. They, just, they didn't come there you know, carrying too much stuff. They're, you know, they're, they're walking gold. Gold, what's that represent? King. The king makers came to bring the gold. Also, you can use gold as money. When you take a trip, you always make sure that you have some money, don't you? I hope you're thinking that way anyway. <laughs> if you take a trip and you're going to run out of gas, right? But they're going to need food. You have frankincense. You have myrrh. Frankincense, myrrh. Speaking of man there, gold speaks of king, God, deity. A lot of object lessons here. Frankincense and myrrh. You think of, uh, of myrrh. It's something that would be used to anoint the dead. So there's a whole story in that in itself. But they're valuable. And it will allow them to get by until it's time to go again, or at least some time for Joseph to pick up some kind of work there. You have to have means to get by, don't you? And if God is making this a whole human way of coming out, even though He's providing and He's making it happen, at the same time, He provided the means. He gave them the money they needed. And they used it. I mean, they went immediately, didn't they? After those kings had been there. Such a strange way that God works. But it's not that strange, is it? When you start to know how God works... The oppression of Herod, and now he's dead. What was the reason they went there? God told them to. It's for their safety. But there's really a chief reason why they went there. Spoken of by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son, the king. Christ is to come out of Egypt. God set it up a long time ago. Alexander the Great, hundreds of years before this. The Lord does this with His own people. He does it with you, 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 every one of you. When you are His, He is working His plan. And things that were planned out, who knows how long ago. Isn't that amazing? 
Turn to Hosea for a moment. And we'll look at the context of what's going on when Hosea writes this that Matthew then borrows from. Hosea 11. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. If you're reading this at the time of Hosea, you're probably not thinking this is the Messiah. This is a grand prophecy found in the the book about the king, Matthew. And Hosea, hundreds of years before, out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. That's what Israel was doing. He's comparing Israel as his son. Look what they did. Read further. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. Think of the the tribes of Israel. Think of the northern tribes. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I came to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, he will be their king, because they refuse to return to me. And he speaks about some judgment here. The sword will whirl against their cities, will demolish their gate bars, consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me. They're bent on turning from God who takes care of them. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. Nobody exalts him. Nobody praises God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. Idle what they were involved with. I will not destroy Ephraim again. I will judge him, but I'm not going to destroy him again. I am God and not man, the Holy One, in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, He will roar. And His sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt. And like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Ephraim surrounds me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. Do you get the idea? Just that one chapter, you get the idea of where Israel really was at. They were against God. They rebelled against Him. They were idolatrous people. They were evil. They were wicked. God, he's, God says, I'm going to be faithful to them. The story of grace here is incredible, isn't it? Just incredible. God shows His love. The more they rebelled, the more that He repeats His promise, shows His love, answers their prayers. And they say, we don't need you. Who's the son here in in Hosea? Well, of course, Matthew quotes it. We know he's talking about Christ. 
not the prophet, or the prophet says it's about Christ to be fulfilled. This is a type of Christ in Hosea. Now, put the whole thing into context. Who's Hosea? Hosea is a man of God. He's a prophet. He follows God. He loves God. God tells him to take a wife. She turns out to be ungodly. She runs off from him. Puts herself underneath others as she really is a harlot. She was with this man of God. She runs away. They even had kids. Hosea is told to go back to her and buy her out of the bondage that she was in. That's a type of Christ there too, isn't it? Hosea says this. Are you getting what is happening here? When Hosea says this, he knows how wicked his wife is. His wife is representing how Israel was to God. Do you know that every one of us was like Gomer, the wife of Hosea, before Christ? That's who we were. We were idolatrous, rebellious, adulterers in spiritual ways. Unbelievable. Matthew quotes this. Israel was a type of whom? Christ so Christ didn't say, no, but He's the Son of God. They failed with what they were supposed to do. The Son is the one who carries out the mission. That's what Matthew is picking up here now. Israel had had the golden calves. God just, or the golden calf, all the other idols, God just keeps staying with them. They say, I don't need you in my life. I don't need you. You become a Christian. Your response to God will tell you a lot about your theology. It will tell you a lot about what your faith is about. When something comes against you, where does your theology go? Your theology should be standing firm on a holy, awesome, sovereign God who has everything in control. And He knows best. We we realize that Christ came here to earth to die. We also realize that He was resurrected on the third day. We all believe that. A Christian has to believe that. If somebody doesn't believe in the resurrection, they're not a Christian. It's just as simple as that. We believe that God raised Him from the dead. If He can raise a dead man back to life, right there the theology starts with something very simple. He can certainly help me out in whatever He needs to do with me. Right? If you go to cemetery, there are going to be people that have died If you continue to stay there, you're not going to see any people resurrecting there, right? You're going to stay there a long time. There are lots of people going in, but they're not coming out. We see plenty of funerals, no resurrections. We realize that Christ was raised from the dead. 
Don't be trusting your feelings. Trust in what you believe. Better yet, trust in Christ. In Christ alone. That is what our trust, our faith is about. He's the one who can take a spiritually dead man and take that spiritual dead corpse and make him alive. So if you have good theology, if you know Christ is what really I'm saying, that can save your life in a heartbroken situation. You might have a loved one that has unbelief. When your children turn away from you and everything that you believe, everything you stand for, if that's ever happened, sometimes in our anger we can say, okay, I've had enough. Turn away from us. Just forget it. Good riddance. Teach them a lesson. I'm not going to speak to them ever again. Now, that's where the message of Hosea comes in. Hosea 11. But the message of Hosea 11 really is found where it's really relevant in Matthew chapter 2, which is where we're looking at. God had always delivered His people from Egypt after He had them go there. Does that not happen to us? Just trust. Sometimes we might want to see how far we can run away from God. Well, if you're His, it can't happen. His people that were His, His elect in the nation of Israel, He never gave up on. That's the message of Hosea. You are my beloved children. You are part of my family. I called you out of Egypt. I gave you every blessing. You still turned away. I will not let you go. The sons succeeded where Israel failed. You know what? This is God's answer to our failure. Quite an object lesson that has been put forth here, isn't it? He sends His Son to the earth. He sends Him to Egypt. Then calls Him out of Egypt. What a divine object lesson it is for us. What a picture there. And He teaches grace. What my title understand is grace is absolutely unmerited, wasn't it? They didn't do anything to please God. It's His grace. And then He delivers them out of Egypt. He gives what we need. He gives His provisions. A river of mercy. The providence of God. A river of mercy. You know what? I think we can rejoice that Christ came out of Egypt. Can't we? It's all God's plan. He literally came out of Egypt to be our Redeemer. All a part of God's plan. And it was really for the biggest reason, not so much that people be saved, even though that is true and that is definitely there. But he's verifying the credentials of the Messiah. When he says in Matthew 2, 15, out of Egypt I called my son. A little sentence that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Out of Egypt I called my son. It verified who the Messiah is. He attaches it to this Messiah. 
Did Mary know what that was all about? Did Joseph know what that was all about at the time? I very seriously doubt it. How that Hosea. But Mary pondered these things. She thought and thought and thought about it. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were discussing these things. And it says, in order that it might be fulfilled, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Got on the outline and, and uh, it just tells the rest of the story, just sums it up. And um, We see the, 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 babies, the baby boys that were killed there in Ramah. And Herod was a part of that. A violent rage, wasn't it? But Jesus was protected through all that. And then we see that there is a return to Nazareth. Finally go back there. In 19, the Herod died. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt said, Get up, take the child and his mother. Go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And they wind up going back to Nazareth which is where they were from. It's been quite a detour, hasn't it? And you say, well, why did God go around all these different ways? Because His prophecies have to be fulfilled. This has to happen. It's a part of His plan. You can say it doesn't make sense. That's in our human thinking. But to God, it absolutely makes sense. In His decrees... And yet at the same time, man is held responsible for what he did. These babies all got killed. He say, God still is a God of grace. And we see at the end of verse 23, and they came, lived in a city called Nazareth. This is where Jesus is going to grow up. This is a horrible place to live. Surely God wouldn't have him grow up there brothels were there in Nazareth. There was a place called Sephora that was just a few miles from there where people came from all over. really had the Roman army and they were building up this area so there were a lot of even carpenters. Joseph might have gone there to make money as they built stone houses. They still used some wood but not, wood was not that popular. But what's the deal with all that? You say, well, what's going on? Well, you would think he would have been brought up in Jerusalem, wouldn't you? Bethlehem, it's close to Jerusalem. Nazareth. A terrible place to live. And this is God doing everything in something totally different way than we would ever dream of. What good can come out of Nazareth? That's exact, they knew exactly what that was. How could He come out of there? Exactly. And the last phrase, this is why He did it. And if it's not good enough for us, then it's just, you're going to have to live with it because this is the best. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He should be called a Nazarene. Let you ponder on that and say, where's that at? Got to close. Can't tell you. Because I can't tell you. So what's the prophets? Sometimes they say things that's not necessarily written in our divine inspired Word of God. They still said things. It was carried on. Anyway, Matthew is inspired when he writes this. He will 
be despised. He will be rejected. He will be hated. People will want to kill him. Just like Herod did as he was a little baby when his ministry starts, the next three, three and a half years are going to be the wickedness of man carrying out their torturous plans and they finally get what they thought they wanted. It all points to the cross, doesn't it? It was about Christ that we looked at today. That's how it ties in this son who came out of Egypt that ties in with the Christmas story. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the blessing that You give us the gift. The true gift. The eternal gift. Jesus Christ who is our life. Thank You for this day. Thank You for giving us the opportunity to worship You. To have the privilege of worshiping with other people like-minded. And Lord, wherever You take us in this journey, as Mary and Joseph journeyed with Jesus, we know that You are going to take us exactly where You want us. Thank You, Lord, that we can trust in that. Thank You for this Word You have given us in Your holy inspired Word. In Your Son's name, Amen. And we say Amen by agreeing with Him as He said uh, when you take this. We will start with a uh, taking of the bread cup and we'll finish with a song. And so the musicians will be ready if you like. You can go ahead and be there if you want to grab this. And we will finish. I'll start with this side. Father, we are focused on the person of Christ. Help us see Him always, this time of the year, all through the day. Constantly help us focus upon the very person of Christ. That is what the Old Testament is about. That is what the New Testament is about. It's Christ in our lives. What a privilege. What a blessing. What grace You have given to all of us who don't deserve any We deserve nothing but Your judgment. And here we sit today being able to take these elements 
that proclaim the person of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's coming back for us. Thank you, Lord, that we have these eternal truths and let us live by these truths, no matter the feelings, no matter the circumstances. These truths are precious. In Jesus' name, we take these. Amen. Everybody stand. As we close out of here, we're going to sing one verse of joy to the world because we can rejoice because of the truth that God has given us. He's the King.
You bring it back a little bit. Okay, how are you doing on that? You still playing? Well, we're not doing it yet. Are you
questionnaire that he gave you guys. Yeah, it was really good. I heard that He doesn't, he doesn't, no, he doesn't go. He doesn't come. Yeah, just like last Sunday we didn't have. Grandma! 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 Okay. Grandma! 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 Yeah. Are you playing that? No, that's on the board. That's a CD or on the radio or something. Oh, I dance to this music. I love that.
say, oh, oh, look, it's you. Who are we going to get to take our picture? The dancer. I tried that one time, I would fall down. <laughs> I, I like to jump and spin at the same time. Yeah, but the, the ticket's Julia. Am I supposed to go ahead and flip those off? Um, let, me, let me do it. I, um, I'm going to do it a couple of days before I'll print your ticket.
So, uh, 